Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Adeptus Podcastus for episode 14. Uh, joining me is my friend Nate from across the ocean in the wonderful United Kingdom. Nate, how's things going in your part of the world? Everything's good, thank you. Busy, but everything's good. That's good. Definitely a busy time of year with Christmas and all that good stuff on the way. Um, so it's been a while since you've been here, Nate, so we're going to get some of your thoughts on worlds and stuff like that. Um, we've also got some spoilers from the Scourge, which is the second pack of the Warlord cycle. We've got three cards that FFG sent us. Uh, you know, we, huge shout out to FFG as always for sending us some extra content. So we'll be covering those this episode as well. Uh, we're also going to talk about the news that's happened uh, in the interim since Worlds and stuff like that. We've got a new pack announced and stuff like that. And then for Know Your Lore this week, I'm going to be covering the Space Wolves, where we've got uh, the first pack of the Warlord Cycle, which featured the Space Wolf Warlord. So let's get things rolling. So Nate, you haven't been here since Worlds happened anything like that. I know you've watched the the featured matches on the company's YouTube page and stuff like that. So maybe give us your thoughts on Worlds and stuff like that, where we haven't had a chance to hear from you since then. <clears throat> um... I mean, the, the final matches, I've nothing to comment on specifically because they were, they were all good players that all, from what I gather, deserve to be there. Uh, there weren't a lot of play mistakes or anything like that. I think it was more more surprising the, the, the makeup of the of the cup that surprised everyone and uh, Ornatov um, going undefeated in Swiss with the Dark Eldar deck, which I think caught everyone a little bit off guard. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think that was just more surprise. I mean, it wasn't a surprise to see Space Marines win it because everyone knew they were a strong deck, they were solid, and Kato just keeps giving those resources, which were proved in quite a few of the games. Um, playing around him is not the most uh, easy thing to do either. So, um, yeah, I think the biggest surprise was just the, just the amount of Dark Eldar, and I think I'll. I'll, I'll the lack of some other factions, the, the representation of them as well, because I'm not sure. Was there only like one Tau in the top cut and one Chaos, I believe? I don't think there was any Chaos, to be honest, but it's hard to remember because things got a little confusing there for a while where there were so many people that dropped to join the Netrunner event the next day that everybody kind of got bumped up a few notches. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I think the surprise was more in the, in the the composition of the of the breakdown rather than the actual the the plays. I mean, from all the all the videos I watched, they're all they're all solid games anyway. So, all right. Um, so in the meantime, well, I guess this was slightly before we got an announcement of the fifth pack of the Warlord cycle. Um, so let's quickly look over that. So we've got the next uh, faction that was featured this time is the Astra Militarum. Um, this time, interestingly though, the Warlord is actually an Inquisitor Warlord, so he's not technically part of the Astra Militarum if you were within the actual you know, 40k setting itself. Uh, the Inquisition is a, a separate organization that's kind of above all the other organizations of the Imperium where they kind of watch over everyone else and looking at them for signs of heresy or betrayal and stuff like that. So this warlord is a 
I never know how to pronounce this guy's name precisely. I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. It's Torquemada Cotiaz. Uh, he's a soldier inquisitor. Uh, he's got 8 health, which is the highest we've seen so far for a warlord. 0 attack, which is the lowest we've seen. And an interesting combat action. You sacrifice a unit at this planet to give this warlord plus 3 attack for its next attack this phase. Limit once per attack. So it's important to note the limit once per attack. You can sacrifice like three units and give this guy a nine attack. So at the most he'll be hitting for three. But still, that's higher than any other warlord we've seen so far. Um, it says he only gets it the one time and you have to have units to sacrifice to do it. So it's interesting. It's kind of neat. I like that we're seeing something new um, for within the Astra Militarum. I'm a bit surprised that it was so soon. I figured we'd probably get another... Astro Militarum Warlord before they started branching into the other Imperial organizations, but I, I'm not going to complain. Torquemad is a pretty cool character if you know the, anything about his lore and stuff like that from the setting. It's also interesting to note that he starts with 8 cards and 8 resources. So he's above the 7 and 7 that we've seen out of everybody of the core set. Um, Nate, what are your thoughts on this new Warlord? I'm torn. I mean, <laughs> I'm in love with the artwork. I'll, I'll say that straight off. I know I usually bang on about the artwork, but I really do. The artwork for this guy is amazing. Um, I may play him just on that strength alone, to be honest with you. Uh, as to how he's balanced, <sighs> I mean, the stats are obviously good. The, the sacrificing to gain plus three attack, I think... All in all, it is a good ability because when you look at something like um, the one attack um, warlords, you know, doing one damage can be sometimes tantamount to doing zero damage anyway. So I think at the times when you can't swing with him because you haven't got anything left to, you know, sacrifice, is not too much of a drawback. And obviously, guard get the most synergy out of sacrificing their units anyway. So I think all in all, I do I do like this guy. Um, I think, and obviously, if you can give him some sort of uh, war gear as well, I think he's going to be like hitting for, you know, if he can make it up. So he's hitting for four or five each turn, and they're just not going to want to go over the planet where he's at. So and and eight hit points is eight. The difference from like six to eight is really relevant as well. So yeah, and it's also important to note that you know we're going to see a few things within his. Uh signature squad that'll kind of make him a bit more appealing I guess you should say so like his unit that comes with him is a uh, Cotiaz's henchman we get I'm assuming yeah, it's four copies of these so they're a two cost unit one attack three hit points uh, one command icon and they're a soldier their interrupt is when this unit leaves play ready your warlord so you could potentially, for example, hit with these guys after hitting with your Warlord. Sacrifice these guys to give your Warlord plus three attack, and after they leave play, or when they leave play, you can ready your Warlord, allowing him to strike again during that combat. So, you know, there is some synergy within the Signature Squad, too, to help you get more attacks out of your Warlord. And, I mean, being able to hit multiple times with the three-attack Warlord is certainly a a great aspect of this squad, if you ask me. Nate? Um, 
I can't help but feel I'd prefer Strachan's um, signature unit over this to keep giving you those guys to sacrifice to him. I suppose it isn't the same thing in a roundabout way, but I just fit, I don't know, I don't know if it'd be more fitting, that's all. I mean, the unit itself's pretty, you know, unless you've got your warlord, it's pretty, what, poor, basically, for its casting. Um, I mean, it's, it's nice, I suppose, I don't even think it affects anything if, if they're not the planet anyway, but, it, yeah, it can do it from not being at the same planet, but I, I think that's... Yeah, they're okay. They're, they're synergistic for what they need to be, but aside from that, not great. Yeah, they themselves as a unit aren't any of particularly great. I mean, they do, they do have three hit points, which is decent, but being only hitting for one is not that great. Um, however, there's an upgrade support card that comes with this called the Formosan Black Ship. Um, I'm assuming we're only going to get one of these from what I can tell uh, it doesn't mention number 20 but I'm going to assume one maybe two so it's an upgrade with an interrupt that says when you sacrifice a non-token unit exhaust the support to two put, uh, sorry, put two guardsmen tokens into play at the same planet as a sacrifice unit so you could use this to help you put in a few more Garzman tokens, which you could then sacrifice to make use of Torquemada again and stuff like that. And these guys, using this support would be pretty good when you use it with uh, his henchmen there. So you are seeing a lot of stuff all built around this whole sacrifice thing, which you know we kind of saw before with the Ashimilitarium 2 and makes sense with their whole way that they fight of you know throwing bodies at a problem. Yeah, I, th I think this suffers a, a, a lot from what all the um, one-off uh, upgrades or locations are in the signature squads, which I think was proved with Chimera Den at Worlds. That if you get that in your opening hand and your opponent doesn't get theirs, or theirs is just not as, as good, I mean, they're all quite good, you, you're going to snowball into a really early lead that's going to be very hard for your parents to come back from uh, this might need addressing at some point but I just feel if you happen to be lucky and draw into yours and they don't yeah. <laughs> I've had games where it's happened so I know um, I mean itself it's amazing it's what we've come to expect from these um, these one-offs in the signature units so I, I really do like that it's really synergistic for what the guard does especially Potiers so yeah, and to address what you were saying there, I mean, everyone has that problem, issue, strength and weakness, whatever you want to call it, with the one-off supports where they're really, really good, and if you see yours, you potentially do better than your opponent if they don't see theirs. So that's why I think they kind of balance out on that. Everyone has the same issue, I guess you could say. I, I don't think it's quite as bad as some people make it out to be. Um, the next card we get to see is the Emperor Protects... It's an event, uh, zero cost, with an interrupt that says, when a unit you control leaves play from a planet with your warlord, return that unit to your hand instead. Yeah. That one certainly has good use with the henchmen and stuff like that. 
Um, yeah, it's probably got. I mean, it's obviously got good synergy with the the signature unit, but I think it's got really good applications elsewhere as well. So if you've got a particularly unique, uh, like the Stragoya, I can't remember his name, the one that when you use, you can sacrifice a unit to um, exhaust an enemy uh, army. It's just stuff like that, guy. If you've got if you've got key. Um, Key units you want to keep alive, or at least not not alive, but at least um, the ability to play less of them because you can keep bouncing it back to the hand. Um, yeah, it's, it's useful. I mean, and if nothing else, it's got a shield on it, so uh, probably. I mean, something like that that's fairly narrow. Probably could have done with two shield two shield uh, icons on it. I feel. Well, I don't think it's that narrow because it's. Any time a unit you control these place was not just like when sacrifice or something. If it said only if it was sacrifice, then it'd be yeah, that'd be way too narrow. But this would work in you know if your opponent destroys the card or some other way makes it leaves play, you could use this to bounce it back to your hand. So I think that gives it a bit more application than it would have if it was just playing on the whole sacrifice thing. Yeah. Um I just think if you get into a situation where um you, they get to take out your unit before you get to use it, and saving that unit might not be so. I just think it can be narrow in its application. I just think sometimes you're going to be caught out where it's just not really that useful. So, I don't know. When you compare it to some of the other signature card um, tactics, I just think it's slightly weaker, that's all. Okay. And the last card is certainly one of the more interesting ones by its artwork. It's the Glovedan Eagle. It's a unique card. It's one cost attachment with three shields, which is fairly standard for any of the signature squads we've seen so far. Uh, it can be attached to your Warlord. Attached Warlord gets plus one attack. And as a combat action, you can detach the card to have it become an army unit with one attack and one hit point. With the text, return this unit to your hand. So it can buff your Warlord and bounce back to your or become a unit and then bounce back to your hand to be reattached to your warlord. So it's interesting. I, I'm certainly looking forward to playing around with that because I think that'd be kind of cool having that bouncing over the place from, you know, giving your warlord plus one attack, sacrifice a unit, it hits for four, detach this thing, it hits for one, bounce it to your hand and play it again. I think it's to be used more, probably. Uh, I mean, People will use it like that, but it's if you're in a pinch and you need to sacrifice a unit to use uh, your Warlord's attack so you can um, use the combat action and then sacrifice it. You know, if in a pinch you need that to hit for three rather than just to hit for the one. So I know you'd be sad to do it, but you know it gives you that ability to do that as well. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to do that. I think I'd probably want to try and keep it at play, or at least in my hand as much as I could, kind of bouncing around. But um, if, if 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 it's a game-winning stroke, well, to give you, yeah. you're gonna do it. Or if you're in a real pinch where your your warlord's gonna get blooded, I, I think that's well worth it as well. And just be said, I think it's nice. That it's got that application to do both. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure what's going on with the double-headed uh, eagle. Is that like? I think there's a reason for it, but I can't remember it either. It's 
It, it is. It's in the miniature game too. Like it, it's on his miniatures. Like he's like holding in his fist oh. or something. So there is a reason for it, but I don't recall the details. I'll have to look that up. Torque Matt is kind of an interesting character because he kind of like rules his own little section of the Imperium because he's basically like, well, no one else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm in charge so I can, you know, protect this area. So he's kind of like made his own little empire, sort of. <laughs> he's an interesting character. Um, he looks badass either way, so that's all that yeah. it takes to like him. He's part of the, uh, the Ordo... Um, I think Hereticus is the one. He fights the demons and stuff like that. Uh, we've also got a card fan that we don't really get to see overly too much. Uh, we see some Noise Marine Zealots, yeah. Chaos Unit. There's just a piece of a card for the Tau. It's an orbital city. And then we've got uh, the Orc version of the Warlord groupies that all get plus two attack while the planet with a Warlord. Uh, these ones are Evil Sons War Bikers, which it's pretty cool to see the Evil Sons because I like them within the clans. Uh, there's a Cabalite Halfborn for the Dark Elder. It's a 1-1-1 with an interrupt. When this unit leaves, I'm going to assume play, draw one card. And then we can see pretty much all of the Seer's Exodus. It's a zero-cost event for the Eldar. And it's got an action. Move one or more units you control at a planet with your warlord to your headquarters. So that could have use to kind of help you maybe get your warlord or some units out of the way of something that might not be a winning battle. You know, live to fight another day. Yeah, I, I like that. The, it looks to me like um, the I like that the chaos uh, marines, the, the, the well-known ones, so the the corn berserkers, the plague marines. Uh, the noise marines and the oh, which one? What are these things called? The um, oh, what are called? the thousand sun guys are trapped in their armor. Yeah, it looks like they're all going to be three cost two fours by the look of it. I know you can't see the stats on that, but seeing that we've already seen two and they have those stats, I'm hoping that they sort of it'd be nice for them to keep that sort of running each one having a different slightly different ability. Well, apart from the Nurgle one, which is. Less than good. Um, yeah. I, I'm really excited to see these guys. I want to see more of uh, Slanish anyway, so... Yeah, this cycle seems to be we're seeing Nurgle and Slanish, which makes sense because the corset... I mean, the corset gave us a pretty good variety, but it was mostly Zinch with a splash of corn and a little bit of Nurgle. I don't know if there was really... There, was only, there wasn't very much Slanish stuff in the corset that I can recall. Well, what I can think of is the unique guy with the crazy-looking tongue, Xavius. Yeah. All right, so that's pack five from the World of Cycles. So we got one pack to go, which should be announced, I would assume, any day now, really. Um, we're at the start of December. Um, should be pack number six, which I've seen the name. It's the Ascendants of Isha. Isha's the Eldar goddess of fertility and the harvest and stuff and mother of the Eldar race, so... It's pretty safe to say we'll be seeing the Dark Eldar and the Eldar Warlord in this pack because the name applies to both factions and the, the pack artwork that I saw on a website that I think was from Spain or something had an Eldar, or sorry, Dark Eldar picture on it. So that should be out any day now, and we'll see the next two, hopefully we'll see both Warlords in that pack, and that'll be the oh. entire Warlord cycle. All right, 
So what other news did we get? So we also got a little bit more news. Uh, this one came out of Worlds. Um, we kind of talked about it a bit during my interview with uh, Jeremy and Garrett a few weeks ago. So rotation was announced as part of the overall plan of FFG with the various LCGs. Uh, it was also announced the reboot of one of the other ones, which neat I know will personally affect you probably more than me because you're a big Game of Thrones player. Um, but what were your thoughts on the rotation they announced to kind of help prevent the same issues that Game of Thrones suffered from after six years to help you know prevent that from happening to the other LCGs? Um, it's a really good thing. I mean, some people, I know some people uh, just outright refuse to play the next edition of Game of Thrones. Uh, I know mainly my playgroup, we can't wait for the next one purely because we think the design team have backed themselves so far into a corner. Uh, they just had so little scope for what they could design now because of the imbalance with the other cards. Um, the restricted list was getting ridiculous. The templating, which I think they've learned from now, uh, especially stuff like the newer games like Conquest and Netrunner, but the templating, you had three different things that did the same thing, all worded differently, and it just made the rules uh, guru's head explode trying to explain to people why I did the exact same thing but was worded differently. So I think the rotation is really good, and it allows them... They, they might want to bring out a really cool card, but they can't because another card exists. So what they can do is say, well, we'll put that on the back burner, wait till the next, till the, the other card rotates out, and then, bang, we can drop this in. I think... I think you're still getting a really good quality card game without it being... Comparatively to like a CCG where you've got to keep dumping money into it and then every year or so it gets flushed away, basically. Unless you play Extended or whatever, same with Magic or L5R. But with this game, you know, you're not paying too much out. So I think it, I think it's really good. I just think uh, as, as long as they keep on topping it, um, balance-wise, I think it shouldn't be a problem. I think that will also help keep the restricted list. I don't even think they, they may not need one. Uh, they seem to be doing all right with Netrunner so far, so uh, I'm hoping all the other games go that way where we don't actually have to restrict or ban any cards because the rotation is keeping the balance there. Okay. And real briefly, just because we don't want to talk too much about other games, but what were your thoughts on the full reboot for Game of Thrones? I, I'm happy for it. Okay. Like I said, we, we, we thought we'd, they'd backed themselves so far into a corner that they, they needed this. Um, and seeing like a few glimpses of the new card art, uh, what they're looking to do with it, um... I think we had a, a letter as well from Nate just saying, explain why why he thought he had to do it and everything. You know, you, you can tell that man puts passion into his games and it hurt him to do it himself. But he still he knew for the for the the healthy for the health of the game to keep growing and not stagnating, it had to happen because the the, the price barrier for like a new player to get in was was becoming quite large. So. Yeah, I can understand. I feel, I mean, we have a player in our group, he's literally just completed his set, not, I think he started playing about a year back and he's just completed his set, so he feels obviously quite aggrieved, but yeah, I can, 
he, he understands and he's happy. But he's not happy with it, but he understands and he's going to be happy playing the new set. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm grateful for that at least. Okay. Yeah, I've seen some people kind of like react rather poorly to it and be like, I'm not going to buy any more stuff. And I just kind of want to say to them, well, you were going to keep buying product if first edition it kept going. So really, has it changed anything? You're just keep buying product. It's just second edition product. The only thing extra really is the fact that now you've got to get a couple more core sets for the new core set and you know whatever format that takes. But well, you know, if they do anything with the core set like they did with uh, the Conquest core set, and they make it like that, where you know it's pretty good out of the box, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, yeah, everyone's got to agree the last the, the first edition of uh, Game of Thrones was was not great as a core set only, and I think they realise that, so they're only going to make it better. Yeah, I definitely say the Star Wars and Conquest core sets have been the best ones. The the Netrunner core set was a particularly hard one to swallow, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. The Game of Thrones wasn't too too bad as I recall, but there was a few cards. I was just kind of like, I have to buy a third one just to get like this one event or whatever. But I mean, that was yeah, one yeah. of their first core sets too, so they were definitely were learning as they went. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and you can see now as they've come into Conquest, it's off. Uh, we still play my core set now, still enjoying it. So you know, we're only getting his first sort of pack now and. Uh, we like Netrunner especially. People like really fed up by the time the first pack came around for that. They were just you know tired of the course experience. Whereas now we're still, we're all still enjoying it. So yeah. Um, so have you guys seen um, the Howl of Black Moon over there in the UK yet? Has it come out over there? No, no I've yourself. got we've got a tip that it's due in on the fifteenth. Okay, so you are a little bit behind the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's behind right now with the the issues that the U.S. is suffering in their shipping. Uh, a lot of companies are suffering delays right now. It's not just FFG. Uh, there's been some labor disputes that are causing a huge backup in shipping for pretty much everything. And it's unfortunate time of year for it. I mean, I guess it's a good idea on the part of the unions. Let's do it at the worst time of the year. That way, our demands will be listened to. So. I understand the logic from their perspective. I just think it's still a pretty crappy time of year for it to happen because, you know, everyone's it's waiting not for too the bad. Christmas present. It's not too bad. We've got Christmas right around the corner, so not having, you know, we've got other things to be thinking about, so it's not the worst thing in the world, I'll be honest with you. That's a good way of looking at it. The unions are trying to save us money so we can spend more money on Christmas. So they, they're trying to delay our products being released so that we can save money. <laughs> I, I like your positive thinking. Let's spin this around. <laughs> All right. So the only other piece of news I guess I can think of before we get to our spoilers is you have a tournament coming up, don't you? Yes, uh, this Sunday, uh, Guys at Game in Stoke, which um, seems to be the centre of um, the north of the UK for gaming. Um, Should be a good event. I think we've got about 16 or so going uh, that I know of anyway. So um, it should be a good little event anyway, so... We were looking. Well, we were hoping to have Howl of Blackmane there, but uh, slightly changed. So I've got to change my deck around. There's not nothing too massive. So, so you built your deck kind of intending to play around with some cards from Howl of Blackmane. Uh, yeah, uh, it's only a few additions. It's nothing to uh, break. I wasn't playing Space Marine, so it's not like my whole game plan's gone out the window playing Ragnar or anything. So, okay. Well, well. 
look forward to hearing about that at your next <laughs> episode. I'm not going to ask you what you're playing or anything like that. <laughs> I don't want to give anything yeah, away. Exactly. I don't want to give it away to your opponents who may or may not be listening. I'm trying to get your secret tech. <laughs> All right. So we did get some, like I said earlier, some spoilers from uh, Fantasy Flight Games for pack number two, The Scourge, which is currently on the way. Uh, all three cards we got were for the Tau. Um, one of these cards we, I'm pretty sure we've seen in the earlier preview. I'm not sure if it was the initial announcement for the cycle or if it was in the pack two preview itself, but it's the, uh, an army unit called the Bork and Recruits. Two cost army unit with two attack, two hit points. Uh, and this unit gets plus two attack while it's a plant with a warlord. So it's another one of what was called during playtesting the warlord groupies. Um, as I'm sure everyone's figured out by now, every faction's getting one of these, obviously, because we've seen one for every faction so far. Uh, in like every time something new gets released. So everyone will have a similar unit that's getting a bit of a buff, which is why we call them the warlord groupies. Um, I must say, I do love the artwork on this particular one, though. It's just amazing with the way the lights are shining and the lens flare, I guess you could say, of the recruit up front who's kind of looking at you through the card artwork. On that, it's a it's a decent unit. I mean, for two costs, it's the stats are pretty good. Um, I certainly wouldn't mind having these guys in like my Ragnar Black main deck or something like that, just to give me another hard punching unit to hopefully take down the opposing warlord. Anything you want to say about this particular world groupie? They're all fairly similar, so. Ah, uh, I think just because of dent of uh, who they are, uh, the Tau, the ability to give them an attachment makes them that bit more appealing than the rest. I think. So putting like a um, Shadow Sun's Cadre on it or a Refractor Field just make oh, maybe not a Refractor Field because they die pretty easy, but. Uh, just buffing them up and then having like a 6-4 at a planet. Real, you know, a real warlord threatening unit, basically. Yeah, you're thinking uh, like give them the iron rifle for the plus 4? Yeah, yeah. Well, the iron rifle, the, the cadre, any, anything like that. Just that little bit more so they hit for like 6 or 7 and really threaten a warlord if it comes to that planet. I think that'll be a real boost for these guys. I think these are the better ones just because of that, basically. Okay. Yeah, I can certainly see that. All right, so uh, Nate, you want to do one of the next ones of our tier three? Uh, okay, I'll do the Kaoyon Strike. Okay. It's a one-cost event, uh, two shield icons. It's loyal, uh, tactic, combat action, move one or more ethereal units you control to a target planet. Um, obviously, at the minute, it's not dazzling. But when they get more ethereal units, I think this this card will be ma such a tempo gain. Um, be, yeah, really strong. I mean, the the two shield icons is enough to merit to put it in in index now, uh, even if you've only got the one ethereal unit. Um, but yeah, I really like this card. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely a card that will get better as the cycle progresses and we see more of the ethereal theme within the Tau faction. Um, I think it's the next pack, so pack number three, where we get the actual Tau Ethereal Warlord of uh, On-Chi. So it'll definitely move up a few notches. I mean, this card is pretty much an auto-include in an Ethereal deck with what it can do. And, you know, like you said, the fact that it's got two shields. Yeah, I think the Ethereals might be a little um, 
fragile, for want of a better word. Uh, so the two shields is nice, but I mean, you, you're probably not going to want to be using for that because being able to bounce all your ethereals around, um, putting them where they need to be to, you know, to strike and then go, I think that that, that deck's going to be really strong when it comes out. The ability to move around during a combat it will be really strong. Yeah, a lot of the ethereal stuff we've seen so far seems to play around with the whole word move, so this is a good card to help him play around with that particular thing. Be kind of interesting. You know. Well, it's, it's, it's the fact that if you've already done two other planet combats, you, you can, or you've got one uh, HQ1 at another planet, it doesn't say from the same planet, so you can take one from one planet, one from another planet, and one from your HQ and dump them on one planet, which I think is really big. It's also interesting, like you said, that you could use this on the Warlord himself and potentially trigger another battle. Yeah. So you could almost have, uh, well, depending on where your opponent's Warlord goes, you could have like four battles in one turn with this. You know, the first planet, the where the opposing Warlord is, where your Warlord is, and then where your Warlord goes to. Yeah, I think that's really, really big. Yeah. It's interesting that it's loyal. I don't really know if that was... I mean, I guess it makes sense. I just I don't know if that was necessary because you're not really going to be using this outside of the Tau, I don't think. Um, I think they just made it loyal mainly for the how many shield pips you've got on it. Yeah, maybe. Because I think two two shield uh, tactics have been have been recognised for how good they are. Um, being able to shield for two is really really handy. Uh, I know some people are running the Dark Eldar, um, the unit gets minus two attack, I think it is, purely for the shield pips. So, um, yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. I mean, um, imagine playing an Eldar deck that was running Tau allies, and just if you know some of the non-loyal ethereals, and then being able to bounce them around and bounce your Warlord around, I just think it, <laughs> that could be a really strong deck. Yeah, that's true. I would definitely... Want the two shields in an Eldar deck? I think I agree with you there. All right. So our last preview we got is uh, the Black Sun Filter. It's a zero cost attachment with one shield. It's a piece of war gear. Uh, it can be attached to an army unit. Reaction: After an enemy warlord commits to the same planet as attached unit, gain one resource. So I mean, it's a it's a pretty simple effect, but it's also I think a really good effect because you can use this potentially to either maybe make your opponent less likely to go to the same unit as this, or sorry, the same planet, not the same unit as this unit. And if they do happen to go there anyway, you get one resource. Depending on what unit you put this on could also really change things up. Like if you're to, I don't know, put this on the, the Borkane recruits or something like that, I mean, so... Not only would your unit get plus two attack, you would also gain a resource by your opposing warlord coming there. That warlord would probably be like, oh, I'm not going to that planet. You get too much good stuff just by me going there. And I mean, free resources is free resources. Yeah, I, th I think that's the kicker. It costs zero and it can gain you a resource. Uh, I'm not sure how it works uh, within the timing with Shadow Sun arriving and then attaching this. Would it trigger? Oh, it's enemy warlord. Ignore that. <laughs> yeah, it's when the enemy warlord commits. I thought that a free resource. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, I'm not sure it will get run just because it's it is a little bit narrow and out of your control. Um, 
but gaining free resources is always good, and if nothing else, it's a shield. So, yeah, it's free, so it's probably good. Yeah, the fact that it's free is, makes it a little bit easier to take. It says, I can see it also being easily pushed out by other cards. Like, it's it's not really a card oh, yeah. that your deck would hinge upon. And, I mean, I don't really know if Tau hurt very much for resources, to be honest, but free is free. And, I mean, extra resources and extra resource, who really cares why you get it, you know, just getting it. But if you could find a way to make this, you know, kind of make your, like I said earlier, your warlord not, or your, not your warlord, your opponent not likely to come to a planet that could also have an advantage to you because you could kind of maybe make them go to other planets that they don't want to or that you want them to to funnel them into a trap maybe or something like that. You could, It takes some playing around with that thing, you know, like any card. Yeah, it's... it's... It's, it's okay. I think because you, you know you've got iron rifles, you've got uh, the drone, you've got the refractor field, uh, uh, you've only got so many spaces in your deck for attachments. Right, I don't exactly. think this would be So uh, yeah, maybe just on that, it might find an application at some point. Yeah, that's why I said I think it'd be easy to push out of a deck because Tau already have so many decent attachments that you know if you look at this card or you know, well, do I want to take box and filter or do I want to take an extra copy of iron rifle? Well, that's not really a choice. Here's my extra copy of Iron Rifle. <laughs> so, yeah, easily pushed out potentially, but not a bad benefit whatsoever for a cost, card that costs you nothing in the first place, other than the card itself, of course. All right, so there's our previews. Um, like I said, you know, huge shout-out to Fantasy Flight Games, as always, for sending us some spoilers. Uh, this pack, like I said earlier, is on the way currently. Hopefully it doesn't get too pushed back with everything getting clogged up with the Christmas season and everything happening at the ports and stuff like that. Um, so otherwise, Nate, is there any other stuff you want to cover before we jump into Know Your Lore, where I'm going to be covering the Space Wolves this week? Um, No, not really. I think I'll, uh, I'll have a lot more to say. Uh, on the next show after Matt on, and right. give you a brief rundown on that. Yep, we're looking forward to hearing about that. So. <laughs> and good yeah. luck yeah. too. Hopefully, I'll be okay. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm sure you'll be fine. You're a good card game player in any game you play, so I don't think you'll have too many issues. But it, you sound like you're getting a good turnout, though. I mean, 16 is pretty good for. Is this guys at games first? tournament that they're really running for Conquest? No, they, they, they had one initially. Okay. If you remember, we covered the Space Marine deck with the Astromotar. Oh, right. yeah. It was going Warlord hunting. So, yeah, uh, yeah they've already had a, a decent... I think they had 12 or so then. And obviously, Eddie is good at fostering uh, the new players who are just sort of... He could take them from interested to hardcore gamers in short order. So, it is quite good at that. Um, and we're taking a, a few over... Uh, unfortunately, I've got two other friends that, that can't actually make it, or you know, the numbers would be quite good. I'm, I'm assuming when we come around to like store championship and regional season, we're going to have really good turnouts because I know down south we're having good turnouts as well for their um, for their tournaments. So uh, yeah, it, it looks strong in the UK anyway. All right, well that's good to hear. Looking forward to hearing your report and how everything goes and stuff like that. Okay. All right. So I think, Nate, you're going to take off now because it's getting on 10 o'clock or so your time, and I'll be jumping in to know your lore, like I said, covering the Space Wolves this time around. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go and uh, watch some more uh, 
goblins versus uh, gnomes. Hearthstone footage? <laughs> Are you watching a live stream, you mean? Yeah, I'm watching... Uh, that's admirable right now, so... <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay, okay. All right, well, we'll talk to you in a, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. We're, we're hoping to record again before we really get into the Christmas season. So we'll try and do that, you know, maybe even next week. Maybe we'll see how our schedules mesh next week. And we can talk about your tournament experience and stuff like that. Okay. Okay, guys. Now, like I said, I'm going to be covering the Space Wolves during this episode's uh, Know Your Lore section. So, as most of you probably know from listening to me for a while now, I'm a big fan of the Space Wolves. They're probably my favorite chapter of the Space Marines. Um, I've always been a huge fan of the Vikings from history and stuff like that, and a big fan of their mythology and everything. And the Space Wolves were basically created from that mythology and the Viking history. Um, not so much that they're like descendants or anything like that, but just that Games Workshop based their chapter and its homeworld and the people that they um, get their troops and stuff from very much on the Viking culture and society of the uh, Middle Ages and stuff like that. So, I mean, anyone who's ever read anything about them, pretty much you can see it right away. Um, they come off as space Vikings, for lack of a better term. All right, so like I said, a huge fan of these guys. So the Space Wolves, um, like I said, they come from a planet called Fenris. Um, Fenris is actually the name of a, a beast from Norse mythology. It's a wolf that uh, is the son of... The Norse god Loki, who everyone knows from the movie The Avengers. Anyway, um, so Fenris is a planet that is much like a lot of the planets it seems like we ended up settling in the previous 30,000 years. Isn't really a planet that you or I might look at and say, ooh, we should go live there. Um, Fenris has a very odd orbit around sun. It goes extremely far away and suffers extremely long winters at times. And it also can get quite close in its orbit. Like its orbit's not like a good circle like a lot of planets tend to be. It's kind of more of a oval where it gets closer and a lot further away. Most planets tend to do this, of course. Does anyone who knows anything about astrophysics does? But this one's particularly extreme on both ends. So what tends to happen is when it gets really far away, of course, it gets very, very cold. The winters become very, very deadly and it becomes very difficult to survive. And the the ice and stuff becomes a lot thicker and the snows and cold and everything so um, when it gets really, really close the planet suffers a lot of tectonic stress and this is when the uh, the Fenrisians tend to take to their longships and take their chances out in the seas um, with the tectonic stress that the planet goes under the landscape of Fenris is constantly in flux islands will come and go as the seasons change there's only one landmass on all of Fenris that remains permanent it's called Asaheim and it's a a huge plateau that rises out of the ocean. It's massively well above the oceans. So it's completely immune from the stress that the rest of the planet falls under. This is, of course, where the Space Marines have their fortress. Um, the Space Marine fortress is called the Fang, a very appropriate name. It's a military fortress, much like all the Space Marine chapters tend to have. It's also where they house all their recruits and their retainers, their servants and vehicles and everything like that. Um, so the Space Wolves are very much taken from their planet um, when they fall in battle gloriously. It's similar to the way that in uh, Viking mythology if you died valiantly in battle you were taken up to Valhalla by the Valkyries of Odin to go and live among the gods and prepare for the final battle. So it's very much like that idea. Um, so with that 
what tends to happen is um, they fight battles among themselves over land and stuff like that because land's a very precious commodity obviously where the, the islands are constantly coming and going so you want to have a place that you can settle even if just for a little while to grow some fields and stuff so they fight over all this land stuff and what will happen is members of the Space Wolves chapter called Wolf Priests will come down and observe these battles at time and anyone that they see that's fights particularly well I mean they don't take on ones you know particularly reckless just you know trying to prove a point on them they take the warriors who are good warriors um as they're on their essentially deathbed the wolf priest will come and take them and they take them up to the fang and of course using their science and technology which is well above anything that the Phoenicians would have experienced um they bring them back to life for lack of a better term and the, the Phoenician now starts his new life as a member of the space wolves chapter um, the Space Wolves were one of the original chapters. They were founded way back in the Horus Heresy days. Um, they were led by Lehman Russ, uh, who, of course, most of you guys will be familiar with the name of the tank that shares his name. Um, he's a very great warrior, of course, so he's particularly um, popular within the Imperium and stuff. Um, with the Space Wolves chapter, they don't follow the Codex Astartes like the Ultramarines do, who are, of course, the exemplars of the Codex Astartes, having it been written by their founding primarch, Rabu Gilliman. So the Space Wolves are organized into what are called Great Companies. Um, there used to be 13, there's currently 12. The 13th Great Company disappeared. Um, there was various rumors and myths in the various Codexes over the years about what happened to them. We did eventually find out that they had disappeared into the warp, hunting after the Chaos Space Marines that had become traitors, and they spent the last 10,000 years fighting against them in the warp. They did come out and uh, were revealed during the time of the uh, 13th Black Crusade, which was featured in Codex Eye of Terror back in 3rd or 4th edition. I'm sorry, I can't remember which one it is. I'm pretty sure it was 3rd edition, though. It was the, a big campaign that they did, and this is where we get, get to finally see the... Uh, the 13th company and they have fallen more to the curse that the space wolves have uh the space wolves suffer from a curse called the wolfen essentially it's rumored that the emperor during the creation of some of the space marines used non-human dna and it seems that the non-human dna that was used for the space wolves was of course based on actual wolves so they have long canines similar to wolves and they tend to have very hairy you know, similar to the fur on wolves and stuff like that, and fur, they're very ferocious warriors, and they snarl and howl and stuff like that. You know, the the curse of the wolf is basically where a space wolf falls and becomes a wolf, almost like a werewolf, you could say. So they fall to the curse, and usually they end up just being put down because they're of no use really to space wolves after this. They're a monster. Um, so like I said, they were found back during the Horus Heresy. Um, they are known for being the emperor's not so much executioners but well i guess you could say they're executioners um they were sent actually to punish the thousand sons um chapter after they broke the emperor's law that psychic powers were supposed to be put aside and stuff like that so russ and his legion were sent to punish magnus and the thousand sons and ever since then the two have had a particular rivalry among the former legions and the current chapters, so they've fought quite a few wars over the millennia since then. Um, so like I said, they were organized, they're organized differently. They have the 12 
great companies instead of the way that other chapters organize. And within the Space Wolves, the way you move through the ranks of their troops is also different. In most chapters, you go from being a scout to what's called a tactical marine. In the Space Wolves, it's based more upon your age. So you, you start off in a pack, and at first you start off as a, a Space Wolf scout, then you become a Blood Claw. The Blood Claw are essentially their version of the Salt Marines. They're, they're the younger Space Wolves. They're more aggressive. They tend to fight with chain swords and knives and blades and stuff like that. They're more get-in-your-face melee troops. As they age, they become a bit more seasoned and stuff, and they become the what's the main bulk of the troops, which is pretty similar to the tactical marines that the other chapters use, and they're called Grey Hunters. Uh, the Grey also refers to the fact that their hairs started to go gray because they started to age. And uh, as they get even older, and the pack is no doubt smaller, because you stay with your pack the whole way through. Um, so the pack's equivalent to kind of like a squad from the other chapters. Uh, the last iteration that you'll see is what's called the long fangs. The long fangs tend to use the heavy weapons because they're older, they're more seasoned, they're more patient. So they'll take the time to aim and you know pick the the best, juiciest targets of the uh, enemy forces. And the packs will also be quite a bit smaller by now because you know it'll just be the few guys that have lived. So you'll see like maybe three or four, or sometimes maybe less. Um, there's also a newer troop type that's called the Lone Wolf. And a Lone Wolf, essentially, this is the last guy that survived out of all of his pack brothers. Um, they're a newer troop type that's only come out in the last couple editions of the game. So, in uh, Congress here, what we've been given, we've got Ragnar Blackmane. Ragnar is a huge character within the fiction of Games Workshop. Um, he's actually got an entire series of books that are strictly about him, and it follows his rise right from when he's uh, a warrior on Fenris all the way through to him eventually becoming the youngest wolf lord, which is a company master of one of the great companies within the Space Wolves. It's also rumored that he's the most likely to eventually succeed the current chapter master, uh, which is Logan Grimnar, uh, if whenever Logan eventually passes on, it's rumored that Ragnar will succeed him. Some don't want that. Unfortunately, Ragnar is particularly well-known for being a great warrior. He's also got a very bad temper, and it tends to get him into situations that tend to be a bit over his head, you could say. Um, he's got a couple newer stories that were written during the Sanctus Reach uh, stories that came out over the summer, including one of them is an audio no uh, novella that you can listen to as well, and just kind of portrays Ragnar in a not so much a smart warrior at times. He's he's a very good warrior. He's a he's a very practiced warrior. He's he knows what he's doing and he pretty much always wins. The problem is he also tends to rush in head first without thinking, which at times can get him in over his head and he sometimes needs pulling out of the fire, you could say. Uh, this has, like I said, some of the people worried that if he does eventually succeed Logan Grimnar as chapter master, he could be a less than good chapter master for the Space Wolves to have. So some are also hoping that as time goes by, he'll learn patience and you know age a bit and become a bit more wise in his age. Um, so with that, it makes perfect sense, as you can you know kind of tell just from you know knowing what little I've explained about the space wolves now, why they tend to focus on what they do in the game, which is very much they focus on what I like to call the murder decks. We've also been called the hunt decks. So these are the decks that are essentially trying to kill the opposing warlords. So they're taking advantage of the secondary win condition 
of bloodying and then killing the opposing warlord as opposed to trying to win the planetary struggle to get the, the main win condition of getting the three planet icons that are all the same. So it makes sense when you think about the fact that you know they're space wolves, they've got rumored wolf DNA within them. Wolves are of course known for being very good pack hunters and stuff like that, so it makes perfect sense with the way that they were envisioned to be within the game by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I mentioned Logan Grimner there. Logan Grimner is a particular favorite character of mine because of something I read a long time ago now in the second edition Codex Chaos. So there's been several wars for the planet called Armageddon, which is one of the hive cities that's fairly close to Earth in the uh, Segmentum Solar. It's it's known for particularly for being fought over by uh, Gazgol Meg-Urk-Thraka, who's an orc warlord. Um, he's currently fighting the third war for Armageddon. But the first war for Armageddon is one that we never really heard of. We just always heard of the second one until this Codex Chaos Space Marines came out. And then, or sorry, Chaos, not Chaos Space Marines. Then we read a blurb in there about the first war. So this involved a war where Chaos invaded. It was actually Angon, who's a demon prince. He's the primarch of the World Eaters uh, space, Chaos Space Marines. He's a follower of Korn. So he invaded Armageddon, and the Space Wolves were the ones that came and eventually defeated him. After the battle ended, um, in order to wipe out any evidence of Chaos, because the Imperium tries not to let people know that Chaos is out there and it exists and the power that it possesses, um, they were essentially going to exterminate the planet. Logan Grimnar has never forgiven the Imperium for doing this, um, they what they did was they actually euthanized the entire well they they sterilized the entire population so they could not breed and they put them into forced labor camps away from the cities and then they flew in new inhabitants to settle the cities that had been now abandoned so as to bring the the production back up to what it was because a hive city uh, produces a lot of the armaments and munitions and stuff that the Imperium depends upon to fight its you know a thousand wars are going on all at the same time. So, like I said, Logan Grimnar has never forgiven them for this because he doesn't feel like it's a honorable way to reward people who defended their planet and their cities and their loved ones and everything and defeated an incredibly powerful enemy. Logan himself is quite old now. Um, there's only one space wolf who's older than him. He's known as the Old Wolf, uh, affectionately by his troops and stuff like that. Probably not to his face. There is one space wolf who's older than him. He's Ulrich the Slayer. Ulrich's one of the wolf priests. The wolf priests within the Space Wolves chapter fulfill the same role as what a chaplain and an apothecary do in the normal Space Marine chapters. So a chaplain is, of course, responsible for the religious teachings, you could say, of all the Space Marine chapters. And an apothecary is the healers and doctors and stuff. And they also are responsible for collecting the progenoid glands from fallen Space Marines that they can use to harvest and manufacture the organs they need to make more Space Marines. So the Wolf Priests fulfill both roles within the uh, Space Wolves chapter as opposed to how the other chapters have two separate and distinct individuals fulfilling these roles. So Ulrich is like 900 or 1,000 years old or something crazy. I don't think they ever actually say how old he is. They just keep say he's older than the Old Wolf himself. He remembers when Logan Grimnar was a blood claw rising up through the ranks. So he, he was and he was old even back then, they say. So he's he's very old for a Space Marine. Space Marines, of course, extremely long-lived, but he's particularly long-lived even for most Space Marines. The, uh, the Space Wolves, as you can tell, kind of differ from their troop types that they use. 
I've already mentioned the wolf priest. There's also the rune priest. The rune priests are the psychers, the librarians, as the other chapters call them, for the space wolves. They uh, focus on their psychic powers, and they kind of treat theirs more as like magic. So theirs focus a lot on like lightning and cold and you know stuff like that. Stuff you would kind of associate with Vikings and the Norse mythology and stuff like that. They also have the Iron Priests. The Iron Priests are similar to the Tech Priests that the other ones use. Uh, they're descendants usually of blacksmiths or stuff like that from the islands that exist on the planet where you know they survive long enough that they can be harvested of uh, precious ores and stuff like that to use to manufacture weapons. Other than that, most of the other stuff the Space Wolves do is fairly normal, although there is one thing I should mention that's particularly cool. So in the last few versions, they've actually released what's called Thunder Wolf Cavalry. So there is wolves on Fenris, but these wolves are not, you know, the kind of wolf that you or I might see if we're ever out in the woods or in a zoo or something like that, you know, which are essentially wild, undomesticated dogs. Thunder wolves are huge wolves that can be ridden by a fully armored space marine. So, I mean, you can look these up if you want. Imagine a, a space wolf fully armed with like his lightning claws out or something like that riding on the back of this wolf charging into battle that's how cool these miniatures are it's one of those miniatures i want to get even though i will not play the game simply to have assemble and paint and have on display strictly because it is such a cool model to have and it's a particularly cool feature that they added to the space wolves army in the later versions of the game of course it's also a very expensive model all right so that's a little bit about the Space Wolves. I'll probably go a bit more into them sometime, or maybe get a bit more into Ragnar as time goes by, but I just kind of want to keep it a little brief this week. So there is one thing that I wanted to mention that we failed to mention earlier when Nate was still here. Um, for those who have seen it, Nate posted on CardGameDB that we were looking, you know, kind of like hands up for whoever's interested in doing a, some sort of an octagon uh, tournament or league. Octagon is a program, uh, O-C-T-G-N, that can be used to play card games online through your computer. It's used to play all the LCGs have modules you can use on it. As well, you can play all kinds of other card games on it. Um, Legend of the Five Rings, Versus, Magic the Gathering, My Little Pony, uh, The Spoils. There's all kinds of card games that all have different modules that you can use to turn this uh, program into a essentially a virtual tabletop that you and your opponent play on and you see their cards and they see yours of course you can't see the hand and everything like that it's all hidden as it would be in a real life game the controls can be a bit tricky and honestly a bit frustrating at times some of the key combinations uh, i find are particularly odd uh, but it's it's a good way to be able to play online so you can get more games in than you would otherwise and you know, maybe if you know, with winter coming, we're all going to be stuck a bit more at home sometimes with you know winter's approach and all that stuff. Um, for those of us who suffer snow and various other winter effects, of course. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be running a, a league tournament type structure. We're going to do what we're hoping is at least probably four, maybe more. We're going to just kind of see how many people... Uh, totally sign up for this. We've gotten quite a good response at CardGameDB. Uh, November was a write-off for me, unfortunately, with my wife's busy schedule, so I wasn't really able to do very much about it, but now that November's coming to an end, um, Nate's unfortunately been quite busy, so I've kind of jumped in and taken the, the range on this one. So I posted it to our Facebook page earlier, as well I mentioned it on CardGameDB, 
What I want anyone to do who's interested is email us at adeptuspodcastus at gmail.com and send me your Octagon username, your forum name preferably, as well your email address and your real life name if you don't mind. And what we're going to do is I'm going to get the first round set up hopefully by this Sunday. So that'll be Sunday the... Uh, sorry, Sunday the 7th. I thought it was the 6th. So Sunday, December 7th is when I'm going to hopefully have all the pairings done up. The first round will, of course, be random pairings. After that, it'll be based on your points that you score, based on the games you win. And we're go- I'm going to make the rounds go from Monday through Sundays. So um, that way you'll have an entire week as well as a full weekend for each round. So what we're going to do is the first round will go from December 8th to December 14th. And then the second one will go from the 15th to the 21st. With the next couple of weeks being the holiday seasons, we're going to take a break in there. So we probably won't get back to it until Monday, January the 5th. It's just, there's Christmas and Boxing Day, New Year's Eve and all that stuff. So, you know, whether you've got kids, you're single or married or whatever, you're going to be busy. It just tends to be that time of year. So I'm not going to want to try and, you know, have people try and schedule games around what tends to be a very busy season as it is for all of us anyway. So we'll get back to it in January. I'm hoping that we can probably have this wrapped up by late January, early February, just so we're not going too far into store championship season. But this will be good practice too for anyone going to store championships and stuff like that. Um, like I said, I'll be running it through uh, the emails, stuff like that, and also be sending out uh, results and the pairings and everything. Um, if you have any information that you're sending me that you might not want me to share with others, make sure you let me know. But I mean, I'm not asking for a lot of personal information. It's basically just a way for your opponents to be able to get a hold of you so you guys can arrange your games. Uh, the games will be entirely arranged between the players. It'll be up to you guys to make sure you, know, you get them in within the time. If you, for every reason, can't meet up with your opponent, you know, message me or email me and I'll see what I can do to help you out. But for the most part, I mean, everybody should have an easy enough time trying to find a time that matches up so you can have like an hour to an hour and a half some evening where you and your opponent can both play. Okay, so that's going to be the end of the episode. As always, if you would like to get a hold of any of the hosts, um, you can contact myself on CardGameDB at TalkToMish. Uh, it's pretty easy to find me on there. I tend to post a lot as well. I'm the, one of the, the two moderators for the forum, so it's pretty easy to see me find me within the, the structure of the forums. Uh, you can also private message me on the site. Uh, you can also email us at adeptuspodcasts at gmail.com. Like I said, that's where I want all the submissions for people who want to join the, the Octagon tournament to send them to us, as well as where you'll be sending the results to us. I'll have a form that I want everyone to send me back with the results. It's not going to be like, you know, what cards were in your deck, but just kind of brief information so we can kind of analyze the meta and stuff like that. Also, you can contact Nate on CardGameDB. He's simple enough to find on there. He's simply Nate. Uh, he tends to post a lot on the Game of Thrones boards as well as on the Conquest boards. Uh, you can also get a hold of us through our Facebook page, of course. Uh, it's Adeptus Podcasts on Facebook. It's really that simple. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Adeptus Podcast U. For some reason, the final S in a podcast is I was not able to get to go into Twitter, so it made my Twitter handle slightly shorter than I wanted it to be. Um, I I don't use the Twitter account uh, strictly just for Conquest stuff, so I do post about some of my other interests like Star Wars and Hearthstone and stuff like that. But you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you know, feel free. Um, 
other than that, we will talk to everyone hopefully in a couple of weeks. I'm hoping we can squeeze in another episode before the holiday season engrosses us both. So it'll probably be like maybe after the week of the the second week of the Octagon League there and everything like that. 